NPR. This is the Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods here with my excellent co-hosts Waylon Wong and Adrian Ma. Hello. And the three of us are here today for a listener questions episode. Yay, love listener questions. <laughs> on today's show, we're going to be going on vacation. We are visiting the bond market and we're going to college. All that after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. The world needs entrepreneurial leaders, and you can become one at Babson College. Gain the skills to lead, motivate, and inspire through a specialized master's or MBA program with full-time, part-time, and online options. Turn ideas into action with a graduate program that caters to your professional needs and fits your lifestyle. Ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report. Apply now at babson.edu slash gradprograms. This message comes from NPR sponsor Yahoo Finance. Think you've done it all when it comes to your financial future? Take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. All right, list of questions. First up, we have Katie from San Francisco. Hello, Indicator team. My family visited my husband's family in Iceland this summer, and as usual, we had trouble explaining the differences between dollars and krona to our nine-year-old. He knows what the exchange rate is, but doesn't understand why the equivalent of $1 doesn't often purchase the same amount of product in Iceland as it does in the U.S. Could you please do a kid-friendly explainer of currency exchange and purchasing power? What a bright and curious nine-year-old. So, Darian, (laughs) are you going to do like a Bluey-style explainer for this nine-year-old on purchasing power? It's a fantastic show, and I don't think I will do a Bluey-style explainer. But I'll do my best to do a kid-friendly explainer. Here we go. Currency is another word for money. and Different countries have different currencies. In the U.S., we use U.S. dollars. Iceland has the krona. On Bluey, they use dollar bucks. They do. And today, $1 is worth 132 Icelandic krona. And so that means if you buy things worth a dollar in the U.S., like, I don't know, a dollar slice pizza, those kind of things would usually cost you about 132 Icelandic krona. Now, It might sound like it's way more expensive, but it's actually the same amount of money, just like our 100 pennies is $1. But as Katie's kid probably found out this summer, prices can be really different in Iceland than they are in the US, even after you change your dollars for krona. Okay, so no 132 krona slice then? (laughs) (laughs) No, and not just because it's not as catchy as a dollar slice. It's because in Iceland, it might require more resources to make a pizza. Maybe the cheese has to be shipped in from overseas, or maybe the tomatoes too, whereas in the US, those things might be made locally. But it does leave us with a puzzle. Currency exchange should mean you can buy similar things for the same amount of money. But it doesn't always work out that way, often because of the specifics of the thing you're trying to buy. And one way to solve this puzzle is to think about prices inside the US. So you still use US dollars when you're buying a pizza in, say, 
Fresno as in San Francisco. But the pizza prices in San Francisco might be more expensive. In other words, sometimes prices are different for reasons that have nothing to do with the currency. Well, we hope that settles Katie's kids' vacation question. And now... Summer is over. Vacation is over. So our next question comes from a high school teacher. I'm Peter Kim. I'm an economics teacher here in Loudoun County, Virginia. And one of the concepts that my students have struggled with in the past is the relationship between bond prices and interest rates. So my question for the indicator is, why do bond prices and interest rates move in opposite directions? Peter, doing the Lord's work, teaching economics to students. And this is one of those concepts that I almost take for granted because I've been talking about it for so long. When interest rates go up, bond prices tend to go down and vice versa. But why? Why? So let's start with a refresher on bonds. Let's talk about government bonds, also known as U.S. Treasuries. This is a little loan you give the U.S. government, right? The government gets to borrow your money. In return, you get a regular payout until the term of this loan is up. Now, we said it once. We have said it a hundred times. Adrian and Darian, U.S. Treasury bonds are what? Um, they're boring? Safe? Is that the answer? <laughs> well, I would say they're fascinating, but <laughs> but yes, they're boring. Like, they are not volatile investments. They're the kind of investment you bring home to meet your parents. So, the, in other words, the U.S. is good for the money. If you put money in a treasury, you will almost certainly get your money back on time. Now, enter from stage left, interest rates. Remember... And interest rate is essentially the cost of borrowing money. So it's what the government pays you over time for the money you're lending the government. Now, when the Fed raises interest rates, the cost of borrowing money goes up across the economy. It even goes up for the U.S. government. And so the government is going to pay you more to borrow money from you. Now, U.S. Treasury bonds will have a higher interest rate. That means that anyone holding these bonds will make more money on their investment. I hope Peter and his students are following me so far. How are you guys yeah. doing? I mean, this is great. So interest rates are higher. If I want to buy a bond, I'm going to be looking at these new higher interest rate bonds. They, they look pretty good. Exactly. Now, there are billions of dollars worth of treasury bonds getting bought and sold every day in financial markets too, right? So now imagine you're in the bond market, you're looking for somewhere to invest your money, and Darian, like you noticed, the new treasuries being sold by the U.S. government have higher interest rates. They look pretty good compared with the older bonds out there that have the lower rates. You see where this is going? Yeah, I see those older bonds with the lower interest rates aren't getting a lot of love at the moment. No, they're not. So what does that do to their prices? Prices fall. Ding, ding, ding. The price of bonds falls to encourage people to buy them. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And now we're going to leave the world of high school behind and go to college. Is that right, Adrian? That's right. We got a ton of feedback about our episode on California's ban on race-based affirmative action. A lot of the questions from that were about the aftermath. Here's listener Steve from San Diego. With competitive schools like UCLA and Berkeley still in high demand, can you bring us the rest of the story about how far these schools have come in restoring diversity and opportunity for students? For example, how do graduation rates and incomes compare now across racial groups after affirmative action ended? Thanks for that question, Steve. 
To get the answer, we reached out to Zach Bleemer, assistant professor of economics at Princeton, who we interviewed on that uh, affirmative action episode. And Zach says there are currently more black and Hispanic students in the University of California system today than there were in the late 90s. But the number of Hispanic students coming out of California high schools has grown at a far faster rate than the number of Hispanic students enrolling at the University of California. So what actually happened is that the University of California sort of fell behind the state when affirmative action was banned and has never recovered relative to the level of Black and Hispanic enrollment in California's high schools. Zach says the university system tried a couple of policies that did boost Black and Hispanic enrollment. One of these policies was that students that were in the top percentage of their high school class were guaranteed admission to a UC school. Another was where application readers at these schools would take a more comprehensive look at students' application, not just focusing on things like test scores. But these policies never got the university system anywhere close to the relative level of racial diversity they had under affirmative action. Now, one thing that has increased since the affirmative action ban, the number of low-income students at the University of California. The campuses made a bunch of changes to their admissions policies to try and give a leg up to the relatively lower income students. Things like ending advantages for legacy candidates and kids of donors. But Zach says these policies don't seem to be helping black and Hispanic students all that much. Proportionally, the lower income students who have been flowing into the University of California have been disproportionately students uh, who are either white or Asian and so come from uh, backgrounds that are relatively more racially represented at the University of California, despite being underrepresented in terms of class. So basically, Zach is saying that if other universities are looking to California for answers on how to increase racial diversity without considering race, California is actually kind of disappointing. Thanks to all our listeners who sent in their burning economics questions. We've got lots of links in today's show notes. If you have an econ question you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, send us an email. We're at indicator at npr.org. This episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering by Debbie Daughtry. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Kate Cannon edits the show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. The world of podcasts can feel overwhelming. We'll let you in on the easiest way to find your next favorite show. Head to npr.org slash podcast. From politics to pop culture to music and everything in between, you'll find a selection of shows that'll make you a super fan in no time. What's happening on NPR Podcasts? Money. Power. Tacos. White collar crime. Green parties. Black reparations. More of the perspectives that make your world a more vibrant place. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The news can feel incredibly overwhelming. For a breath of much-needed fresh air, head to NPR.org's culture section. From the buzzy movies, tiny desk, and artists that everyone seems to know about, type in NPR.org for the latest and greatest in the pop culture universe.